Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. The variant of COVID-19 recently discovered in the UK has been found in New York for the first time in Saratoga County. As the Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard reports, the variant has been traced to the N. Fox Jewelry Store in downtown Saratoga Springs. Governor Andrew Cuomo on Tuesday called the new strain highly problematic and said its spread in New York could be a game changer. Anyone who was exposed or anyone who was exposed to someone who was exposed, please contact us. Uh, There's nothing to be ashamed of. This is a virus. It travels. But uh, we have to know containment is vitally important here. New York State Health Commissioner Dr. Howard Zucker said contact tracing has been underway for all who were in the store on Broadway. No other cases of the strain have yet been identified, but Zucker said the state is testing for the variant at a rate that outpaces the federal government's response. It takes 44 hours or so to do the actual genome testing. So we learned about this yesterday. We got the samples uh, Uh, yesterday and we are doing this uh, and as soon as we have answers we can provide that. A new drive-up testing site began operating in Saratoga Springs at Saratoga Performing Arts Center Tuesday afternoon and will remain open through Friday. Saratoga County's seven-day positive test rate for COVID Tuesday was 10.7 percent. In the last seven days more than 1,200 new cases were reported as numbers spike after Christmas and New Year's Eve. In an update Tuesday afternoon, Saratoga County EMS Coordinator Mike McAvoy said while the new strain has not been observed to make people more sick in other countries, its apparent ability to spread quickly could place further strain on public health services if it spreads locally. If there is a widespread outbreak of it, we would have more people ill in the community faster and our capacity to take care of those people in public health and in the hospitals uh, could potentially be compromised. Meantime, COVID-19 vaccines continue to be given to the highest risk members of the public, such as nursing home residents and frontline healthcare workers. McAvoy said 1,500 doses of vaccine were received by the county on Tuesday, an amount he said would be enough to provide doses to residents in the state's 1A vaccine eligibility tier. He expected 1B vaccinations to begin by the end of the month. The county's Public Health Services office in Boston Spa is serving as a point of distribution site, while the county works to identify other possible pods. Again, McAvoy. And some of our residents may be familiar with this because we've run pods up in Corinth, for example. We've run pods in Moreau. We've run them in Mechanicville. We've done them in Clifton Park. And we'll probably seek to spread those out so that we can get the most coverage of the community and put them in locations that are easily accessible to the public. McAvoy said county phone lines have been overloaded with residents calling with questions about the vaccine. He asked the public to go online to the county's public health services website, which has information on the vaccine, COVID-19 variants, and the county's data dashboard 
as well as other information. But even city officials say they need more information. Saratoga Springs Mayor Meg Kelly says there's been a lack of communication with the county. I have heard nothing from the county on how they're rolling out the vaccination process. I have been in contact with the hospital. They have not heard from the county. So we have a problem at the county level with communication to the public and to elected officials on how this rollout is going to happen. Officials continue to stress COVID-19 safety guidelines, wash hands frequently, remain socially distanced and stay home, avoid gatherings, and wear a mask in public or when social distancing isn't possible. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard. County leaders in New York say their health departments have been developing vaccination plans for years and can help smooth the rocky rollout of the state's COVID-19 vaccination program, but they need more cooperation from Governor Andrew Cuomo and his administration. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. The county executives say their health departments are required by state law to have mass vaccination plans, and they've been updating them regularly with test runs of their systems and investment in staff training. But they say Governor Cuomo and the state health department are not providing data that they need and are leaving them out of key meetings. They say that makes it more difficult to coordinate the distribution of the vaccines in their communities when the doses arrive. The head of the bipartisan New York County Executives Association Dutchess County Executive Mark Molinaro says it will greatly speed up vaccinations if the state utilizes the county's expertise. We have the plans in place. Activating them, using them, uh, and implementing them is a logical step that is necessary uniformly across the state of New York so that counties uh, and the public aren't getting a different messaging or uh, uh, a a different plan in each community. Uh, Those plans exist. We're ready to do it. Molinero was the Republican candidate running against Cuomo in the 2018 governor's race. Cuomo in December assigned hospitals the job of administering the initial doses of vaccines for frontline health care workers. And he said the major hospital in each region would also be responsible for later stages of the vaccination program. But the governor said this week that more than three weeks after the first shipments arrived, less than half of the initial vaccine doses have been used. And many hospitals are falling far behind in vaccinating essential health care workers. Cuomo says hospitals that don't use their doses by the end of the week face fines, and he continued on Tuesday to threaten that underperforming hospitals won't get any more vaccines in the future. Going forward, we'll just distribute it to the hospitals that do a better job. The county executives say the hospitals were never set up to carry out large vaccination plans, and state officials should be working with the health care centers to try to solve their problems. Molinero says it's not fair to penalize them for failing to do jobs that they aren't prepared for. This philosophy that, you know, we're, the beatings will continue until morale in, in, in improves is not an effective tool to getting the job done. Cuomo on Tuesday for the first time laid out plans to have other entities besides hospitals administer the vaccines. He now says the vaccine will eventually be available at over 3,700 sites, including private doctor's offices, pharmacies, and urgent care clinics. And he says county health departments and community centers will also be included. We'll be supplying all of these outlets with the vaccine to do the distribution when we get to the general public. Cuomo senior advisor Rich Azapardi, in a statement, defended the governor's position. He says the state needs to take the lead and coordinate all of the county plans with the state response to avoid 63 different counties going in 63 different directions. 
The governor, in a briefing with reporters, was asked how members of the public can sign up for the vaccine or prove that they are eligible for a shot when their turn comes. Cuomo says those details have not yet been worked out. We're not there yet. He says it will be at least another month before the state has enough doses for all of New York's two million health care workers and can then move on to other groups. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Well, Alan, you know, Georgia's a ways away from New York, but those runoffs this week will have a big impact. The governor himself, Andrew Cuomo, that is, of New York, says he's going to have to rewrite his state of the state address now that Georgia has flipped the Senate in favor of the Democrats. Your thoughts on that impact on New York? Well, as you know, David, all along, this governor has said again and again, we need help. We have a huge budget gap. Nobody really knows what it is. It could be $16 billion, It could be 14 It could be 20 We don't know. We did talk to Tom DiNapoli, the state controller, and he says it's a moving target in essence. So we know that the governor has always said we need help. We're going to have to get it. We can't print money. The federal government can. They can make this thing happen. And now that the entire government is in the hands of the Democrats, it will happen. There will be help for the states. New Jersey will have a tunnel that goes to New York, which New York has desperately needed for a long, long time. I heard one New Jersey congresswoman talking about repaving the New Jersey turnpike, which is needed in the worst kind of way. So the Congress will spend, but they're going to spend in people's feet. They're going to spend in a way in which people are the beneficiaries, not this craziness which has gone on up until now. So yes, David, this has meant a whole new ball game. The governor has held on, and he's going to get a lot of credit for having done it. It doesn't mean that the state won't still be in dire straits as we go forward. And we know with the most recent $900 billion COVID relief package, it's not nearly enough for the states and localities, not only in New York, but for the entire country. We go forward now with how to fill the gap, as you suggest. It helps that the Democrats are in control. But what do we do in terms of New York to help raise revenue? And two things, maybe three things come to mind raise taxes, cut services, or find other revenue sources like a stock transfer tax. Well, that's right. Clearly, after talking to Controller DiNapoli, we had the idea that the stock transfer tax was not yet on the table. You could just charge pennies to every time there's a stock transaction and New York would be flush or would have enough money. Apparently, that's not going to happen. The rationale is with the kind of electronic wizardry that we have, people could move the stock market technically to another place. And I think that's something that's always worried New York. So that won't happen. As far as the question of raising taxes and taxing the very rich, it always comes down to which very rich? A billion dollars, a million dollars, a half a million dollars, a hundred thousand dollars. It's stuff that a lot of politicians like to avoid. But I think that's the way we're headed right now. I think the help from the federal government 
now that the feds will be in the Democratic camp, will be good, and it'll be helpful, and the Congress will do more. But I, I suspect, you know, there's going to be a certain cachet to tax the very rich. The problem with that, as Comptroller DiNapoli told us, was they'll move. So none of these answers are particularly definitive or best answers. Nevertheless, I think there's going to be somewhat of a combination. I think in the end, the Congress will help, and I think that there will probably be a tax adjustment for the very rich. And the opportunity of a financial crunch for what has been unable to pass in New York. And we've seen it passing all around New York and states bordering it. And that's the legalization of recreational use of marijuana. We have medical marijuana in New York, but not recreational use. And there have been some projections of $500 million in revenue potential. And it's been hung up largely on making sure minority communities who were affected by the Rockefeller drug laws can get a piece of the business. $500 million, David, is not $16 billion, which is what the deficit is going to be. So yes, it'll help. Everything will help. But it's not really going to make the big difference. So let's just understand what's going on here. There is a sense that People in the minority communities have really been screwed because they've been the ones who were arrested. If you're sitting up on Fifth Avenue in some high-rise smoking your pot, you're not getting arrested. If you're on Lexington Avenue and 116th Street, you are. And proportionally, those folks have been the ones who have suffered and been arrested. And we know what the proportions of people of color in our prisons have been. And in some cases, that's one of the reasons. So the governor and some others have been insisting that when we figure out who gets the money from marijuana sales, because there will be a lot of money, as we in Massachusetts know, what will happen is that they're going to have to figure out how to get some of that money into the hands of the people who have been so disadvantaged by the laws up until now. And that's where the fight is going on. I don't know how they're going to do it, but my bet is that they will find some ways of doing it. Legislative Gazette Political Observer, Alan Chartop. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. New York U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand has announced her first bill for the new session of Congress, and it aims to speed up the country's lagging vaccine distribution. Meanwhile, Rockland County received its first shipment of the COVID-19 vaccine this week and began administering it to county health care workers the same day. The Legislative Gazette's Allison Dunn has more. Senator Gillibrand says she is reintroducing her Health Force, Resilience Force, and Jobs to Fight COVID-19 Act. This bill would invest billions of dollars into local public health infrastructure and recruit, train, and employ hundreds of thousands of Americans to support vaccine communication, distribution, and administration efforts in their own communities with a particular focus on underserved communities. The Democrat says the bill would help create jobs where they are needed most and bolster an overstretched public health system with local public health workers. The health force would create a new pipeline to health careers, improving diversity in the field. And when this crisis finally ends, 
how force workers will be retained to continue addressing community and public health issues like opioid addiction, nutrition, mental health, and more. Health Force is inspired by the Depression-era Works Progress Administration, which tapped thousands of job seekers to help the nation recover from a sharp economic downturn. Gillibrand spells out the cost for her plan, saying it would have long-term dividends and pay for itself. Because we're in a pandemic, um, we have estimated that we will invest $40 billion uh, each year for the first two years. Um, And that in and of itself would be an investment just to get this epidemic under control. Democratic Congressman Antonio Delgado of the 19th District took to Facebook Monday with a pre-recorded State of the District address. He says the first order of business in the new Congress is to confront the pandemic and vaccine distribution. While the vaccine rollout in New York and across the country has gotten off to a slower than anticipated start, I'm confident that our state and our country will continue to accelerate the rate of vaccinations in the coming months. To that end, it is imperative that Congress provides more funding for state and local governments to support those on the ground doing the heavy lifting of coordinating the vaccine's distribution. Meantime, Rockland County received its first shipment of 1,000 doses of the Moderna vaccine. Calling it an extremely positive development, Rockland Health Commissioner Dr. Patricia Schnabel-Rupert says her department will begin vaccinating individuals eligible under New York's phased vaccination program. So it's excellent to now have this vaccine on hand and be able to supplement the other vaccination efforts that are already underway. Providing vaccinations to our clinical staff who will in turn vaccinate other eligible individuals is the very beginning of the end of this pandemic. She emphasized that the vaccine distribution plan was created and is managed by the state and that residents cannot register by calling the county health department. Rupert says her office is fielding a large amount of calls on this. Vaccination will now be an everyday occurrence at the Rockland County Department of Health pending continued vaccine deliveries from New York State. She then laid out the process for registration through a state site and walked through the steps of getting the vaccine and what to expect. Rupert says the person must receive first and second doses at the same location. Following her announcement, members of the County Department of Health staff who are eligible to be vaccinated received their first dose of the vaccine. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Allison Dunn. The COVID-19-related deaths of nine nuns at a Latham convent has made international headlines. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas has that story. On December 11th, News Channel 13 reported 22 sisters at St. Joseph's Provincial House tested positive for coronavirus. By December 29, the Times Union reported that nine nuns had died. In that story, an Albany County spokesperson indicated the county wasn't aware of all of the deaths, quoting here, four of the deaths associated with the congregation had been previously reported earlier this month by the hospitals. The other five were not reported to the Albany County Department of Health by the facility. During a New Year's Eve press briefing, Albany County Executive Dan McCoy spoke about the status of members of religious orders. They have apartments that they all live together. They're not categorized under a nursing home. They're not categorized as assistant living. Um, It's a common for nuns, and they got places like that for priests and other people. But it also highlighted a thing this gentleman, a friend of mine, brought up to me about some issues they were having with conjuring settings like this for seniors, not just here in Albany County, throughout the state. There's an issue in Rensselaer County with some senior complexes that have people over the age of 65 
living together with tw within 20 apartments, and uh, they might be Section 8. They might just all just be living there. Uh, but it's an issue we need to address, not just for a health standpoint, but for vaccines going forward. And it's something that when the state Senate was in on Monday and they did the rent control, great. Uh, these are things that we've learned over the course of the last nine and a half months that we need to address. McCoy said he would bring the matter before state officials. McCoy added he understands that congregate residences such as convents and friaries are not obligated to report to county or state health departments. We need to address these settings that have that loophole in the law where they don't have to report to the county health departments, they don't really have to report to the state health departments, um, but they are in a congenital setting. And, uh, you know, we, we have to make sure that we don't have these issues going forward. 140 of the Sisters of St. Joseph of Carondelet reside at the Latham Convent, according to its website. Thirteen nuns have died there since late November. A cemetery for Sisters is located on the grounds. Mary Deturis Paust is Director of Communications for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Albany. All of us at the Diocese of Albany are have been praying for the Sisters of St. Joseph throughout this challenging time. And we know how, how difficult this is because we're seeing it across the country, we're seeing it around the world, that on top of the um, challenges of COVID itself and the loss of, of these beloved sisters is the fact that we can't celebrate their lives with funerals, with memorials and wakes, and the normal celebrations that we would have that would let us bring closure and to grieve together. And so we really feel for the Sisters of St. Joseph. We wish they, we could be more present to them at this time, but because of COVID restrictions, that's not even possible. So we are praying for them. We want them to know we're praying for them, and I know the community at large is praying for them as well. Calls to the convent, whose plight made the New York Times, were not returned in time for broadcast. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. In other news this week, the New York Department of Labor's Farm Wage Board held three meetings in late December to determine if the overtime threshold for farm workers should be lowered. Their decision to wait at least a year was issued on New Year's Eve. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley with more. New York's Farm Workers Labor Law of 2019, which became effective January 1st, 2020, includes requirements to provide at least one day off per week, unemployment insurance coverage, paid family leave, and the right to organize. The agriculture industry was also allowed to keep an exemption allowing 60 hours of work before overtime is paid. The new law required a wage board to determine if and when that overtime threshold could be lowered to 40 hours per week. In a series of virtual meetings at the end of December, the three board members offered their final deliberations. Board member David Fisher, president of the New York Farm Bureau, warned that a rapid change could negatively impact the industry. There are often unintended consequences and sometimes serious ones. 
that's why I've been asking right along for a pause for a few years in this to help farmers adjust and workers and look at it again. We just need to be careful how fast we move on things like this. But former president of the New York State AFL-CIO Dennis Hughes countered that the ag industry has long held exemptions to state labor laws. We're willing, uh, at least from the from our point of view, the AFL-CIO point of view, that over time, over a reasonable period of time, we get to a 40-hour overtime requirement, just like every other industry throughout the state of New York. Farms and their supply chains have been impacted by the pandemic. La Casa de Leche dairy farm owner and Northeast Dairy Producers Association vice chair Keith Kimball watched the board's virtual meetings. If you look at agriculture in particular, there's so many variables that affect us on a year-to-year basis that no two years are the same. So this is going to take you know five years to understand what the impact is. The other thing is that the board has not been charged with take this down to 40 hours. And to hear them say that it was their responsibility to figure out how to get to 40 hours, I thought was irresponsible. They're supposed to evaluate how this has impacted both farms and employees and then make a recommendation to the state. During their third December meeting, the board members met to vote on their final recommendation for reducing the overtime threshold. President of the Buffalo Urban League and board chair Brenda McDuffie offered the resolution. Given the importance of food production in New York State and the extenuating circumstances and market disruption caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, we find that additional data are needed to understand the impact of lowering the overtime threshold for farm laborers. I move that this board recommend that the overtime rates for farm laborers remain at 60 hours for at least one year. The resolution passed two to one, with Hughes voting against it. The resolution includes a recommendation that the board be reconvened at the end of 2021 to reconsider the overtime threshold again. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2102. Or just listen or podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.